listening to the Alchemical Tech Revolution, and I am your host, Wayne McRoy. Tonight, uh, I hope to do some justice to the work of Michael Hoffman and the late, great James Shelby Downard. Uh, so, with that being said, we're going to actually do a uh, little excerpt of Michael Hoffman's new book, and it's an excellent, excellent book I highly recommend. It's called Twilight Language, and this is the uh, sequel to his earlier publication called Secret Societies and Psychological Warfare, which is a must-read for everybody. And uh, it really delves deeply into the workings of the human psyche. Let's begin reading here, and I'll, I'll pause periodically to give you my thoughts on, on some of this as well. A Blackjack Progression, 2001 to 2021. This book is not a how-to manual to prevent being alchemically processed by the cryptocracy, one cannot prevent a disease that has already metastasized. Neither is it a wake-up call. Since the gateway year 2001, the majority of Americans have been processed as initiates. They are Masons on site, i.e. members of the secret society without knowing it. And I'm going to pause there for a moment, folks. Uh, Michael Hoffman is making some very succinct statements right here and this is important uh, we've all been processed through this trauma-based mind control it's an alchemical process we've been alchemically processed in this way it's a type of initiation see uh, because these secret society groups they use trauma in their initiation ceremonies and stuff like that and we've all been processed in this way now and he's pointing that out by what he calls the cryptocracy and i do like that term because these people do use these uh, very um, hidden esoteric type means to manipulate and control people uh, so cryptocracy is kind of a perfect description uh, but anyway he's he's talking about uh, this isn't a how-to manual on you know, how to prevent being processed. We've already all been processed. And it's not exactly a wake-up call, uh, because I think very many people are aware that something notorious or nefarious is going on here in the world today, but many of them don't quite understand the scope of what it is. So uh, that's exactly what he's pointing out here. So we've all been initiated, so to say, in a sense. Anyway, back to the reading here. A wake-up call presupposes that people are asleep. They are only partly so. In their waking stages, they intuit that the cryptocracy in the United States engages in human sacrifice and occult process. This thrills them, and they keenly anticipate more thrills. At this stage in history, America is a carnival sideshow thrilldrome, and we the people vie for a front row seat. Eternal salvation, the pursuit of truth and freedom, all that takes a back seat, despite the rhetoric. The alchemical processing of humanity is ahead of schedule. People are becoming less human and far more numb and easily misdirected as the reign of dead matter appears on the horizon. And I'm going to pause there, folks. This is another important phrase that Michael Hoffman brings to the forefront, and he's absolutely correct here. He calls it the reign of dead matter. And it's R-E-I-G-N when he's talking about reign there. The reign of of dead matter and this is a perfect and very apt description of the people in power today reality facts and truth are dispensable in the high echelons of the cryptocracy sorcery entails a calculus in which reality facts and truth are whatever the sorcerer declares them to be I'm gonna pause there folks doesn't that sound familiar 
Uh, let's continue reading, though. I don't want to take too many pauses here. I don't want to like go off on a tangent on every sentence, but this is brilliantly written. Just so you know, uh, Michael Hoffman does very much understand quite a few things here about how this cryptocracy works and operates. And, you know, uh, he's very poignant in his delivery. Let's read on. According to the allegations in Ariel Sabar's book Veritas, a Harvard professor, a con man, and the gospel of Jesus' wife, Random House 2020, one of the principals who was allegedly instru instrumental in promoting the Jesus Had a Wife papyrus fragment hoax was Karen King, Hollis Professor of Divinity at Harvard University. In a review of Sabar's book, James Lasden states concerning King's alleged co-conspirators in the hoax, she had little interest in hearing what Sabar had found out, nor did she offer any mea culpas when her fragment was discredited. You could read this as the product of a lofty postmodern sensibility, unbound by crude categories of true and false. King's statements over the years certainly support that. History is not about truth, but about power relations, she wrote in one paper. Sticklers for the former were guilty of fact fundamentalism. So you see here, folks, I'm going to pause there. Uh, so he, he's quoting this person who didn't have any factual basis for writing and uh, coming up with the ideas that she did. But uh, she claimed, you know, this uh, idea here that... Uh, History is not about truth, and it isn't that the truth, but it's about power relations. And that holds true today, and didn't, uh, you know, George Orwell write about something similar to that idea? It's not about what's true and what's false. It's about what you can do with history to manipulate people, what you can make them believe about their history in order to control the present. See, because he who controls the past controls the present, and he who controls the present controls the future. So uh, this is all about power, and that's exactly what this person was pointing out there. So uh, that that's what uh, Hoffman was, you know, speaking on right there. Let's get back to the reading, though. But such relativism for her was never an end in itself. It was always in the service of a larger goal, and from the beginning of her career, that goal was unabashedly religious, a gospel revealing Mary Magdalene as not just Jesus' disciple, but also his wife would restore forfeited sexuality. If it turned out to be genuine, so much the better. But even if it didn't, might it not do some good all the same? And I'm going to pause there, folks. You see what Hoffman's pointing out here is that uh, truth is irrelevant to these people when they're looking to manipulate agendas or put forward agendas. Just putting the idea out there offers some credence to it, regardless of the truth of it or not. And don't we see this today? If enough people believe the lie, doesn't the lie become true in a sense? And that's exactly what he's pointing out. Let's read on. In the non-Gnostic Orthodox Christian theology of the Bible, this ledger domain falls under two categories. The first is mendicium officiosum, the officious lie, the helpful lie, lying for our own good, to assist us into illumination. Jacob conveyed to his father Isaac the helpful lie that he was firstborn son, Genesis 27, 19. 
The 17th century theologian Thomas Brooks notes that Jacob told Isaac an officious lie, after which Jacob hardly ever had a merry day, a good day after it. For God followed him with a variety of troubles, and his sorrows came posting in one after another, even to his dying day, that both himself and others might see what bitterness is wrapped up in officious lies. St. Augustine stoutly asserts that we are not to tell an officious lie, though it were to save all the world. Nepos reported of Epon Epaminondas, a nobleman of Thebes and a famous warrior, that he would never lie in, ju in jest nor in earnest, either for his own or another's gain. This refined heathen will one day rise in judgment against such kind of Christians who take a pleasure in officious lies. And I'm going to pause there for a moment, folks. So the point he's making here is uh, many of these people in positions of power see they they back up this idea of lying for the good of others and especially those who see themselves as illumined or the gnostic variety or or these people they see that uh, this lying for the good of all uh, you know is is an okay thing to do and that's what uh, hoffman is speaking against right here but uh, let's get back to the reading here the most common occult lie is mendicium perniciosum, pernicious lying intended to defraud or cheat. There is no occult imperium without rampant mendicium pernicosum. If it is successfully conducted, it becomes a truth of consensus reality. And I'm going to pause there, folks. Isn't that what we just said? Isn't that uh, one of the things we just pointed out? If enough people observe a lie and you know believe that lie to be true doesn't that make it true in a sense in the minds of people see that's the thing that the mind the human mind this is the battleground that we're fighting in right now so if they could control your perception of reality in this way they control your mind see so they can make you believe something's true that's not and they can make you believe something false that's true uh so with that being said that's what's being pointed out here, and this all ties back to occultism and uh, many of these occult secrets or esoteric secrets uh, that some of the secret societies banty about in order to control people. So let's, let's get back to the reading here, though. This is the might is right winner's creed. The Christian counterculture says otherwise. It is better to be a loser in the world than a liar. Jeremiah loathed and abominated liars to such an extent that he chose to live in the wilderness than among them. Jeremiah 9, 2-8 What is the reign of dead matter? Is it inevitable? In the summer of 2020, Elon Musk expressed anxiety to Maureen Dowd of the New York Times over the possibility that Silicon Valley oligarchs may be summoning the demon. In this connection, he informed Dowd that he believed machines will surpass human intelligence before 2025, at which time things will start to get weird. Machines equal dead matter. Inevitable? Can the present be colonized by the future? If so, then yes. But what is the future if not a unit of measurement of time? And as Frank Wilczek has observed... Measurement is a disruptive process, which disturbs the thing being measured. 
I'm going to pause there, folks. That's a true statement. And uh, keep in mind, time is a man-made measurement, isn't it? The way that we uh, gauge time, it's a man-made thing, okay? Um, so when we look at it from that perspective, isn't that true? Doesn't that play into this reign of dead matter as well? The actual measurement and passage of time and how we mark these different things? When it doesn't line up with the natural world, then yes, I would say that falls into the uh, reign of dead matter as well. Uh, if it doesn't align with the sky clock, and that's why they jacked up our time-telling system so much. It doesn't align with the, the sky clock anymore. So it's an unnatural process. So this measurement of time is an unnatural process, and it also disturbs the thing being measured. See, this is true no matter what you do. If you measure anything, the mere act of measuring something disturbs the thing that you're measuring. Okay, and this, this holds true. If you look at quantum science, or what they call quantum science, it's the same kind of thing. You can either observe a, a, a particle when you're looking at this, this idea of quantum, okay? And I don't all necessarily buy into the whole quantum thing. I, I think a lot of that's misdescribed. But you could measure a particle's position or its, its speed, <laughs> but you can't measure both at once when you're looking at quantum stuff. Same kind of idea. See, so that's what's being pointed out here. So any time that you seek to measure something, you, you disturb the thing that you're measuring. So this has to be taken into consideration when you're looking at these kind of things. Anyway, let's get back to the reading there. I don't want to get too hung up on that point. Concerning his followers, Jesus Christ proclaimed, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do. John 14.12 Jesus must have had very few actual followers in the America of the 20th century because after the creation and destruction of primordial matter, atomic incineration, it says in parentheses, at the 33rd degree Trinity site in New Mexico, the land of enchantment, it says in parentheses, in 1945, it was the killing of the king right at Masonic Dealey Plaza, near the triple underpass and on the 32nd degree of north parallel latitude. On November 22, 1963, that catapulted our nation into a psychic Oz, from which we have yet to emerge. The virtuoso managers of the once and future America as crime scene have gone from victory to victory in what, until recently, was supposed to have been a Christian nation. If this writer has learned anything over the course of more than 40 years of sleuthing secret languages and coded messages, mass shootings, and serial killings, it is that a unit of the cryptocracy instead or inside the United States government propitiates dark forces with human sacrifices, such as occurred with Son of Sam, Hillside Strangler, Double Initial, Columbine High School, the Aurora Colorado Theater, and in Las Vegas in front of the shimmering pomps and sleazy props of Pharaonic Egypt. And I'm going to pause there, folks. He's making assertions here, pointing to many of what we would call these false flag events. And he's saying that the cryptocracy uses these as an, a type of occult ritual to garner power for themselves. Is he wrong? I, I don't think so. So whether you buy into you know the fact that, that real legitimate people died in these events, or if it's a uh, facade that people died, the, the whole point here is, in some sense, these rituals become 
very real when believed by enough people. So regardless of whether real people actually died in these events, or if it's a put-up with actors or whatnot, as some people uh, attest, it doesn't matter because the result is the same based upon what we were just reading earlier here. It's regardless of what your personal thoughts are on it. If enough people believe something to be true, does that not make it true in a sense in our reality? That's what he's talking about. This purports back to different occult philosophies like the hermetic principle of mentalism, the principle of mind. Thought creates reality, see? And that's why these people seek to control your mind because your thoughts manifest in reality and create your reality. So if they could hijack your thoughts and steer them towards something that they want, then that's an ultimate type of power, isn't it? And that's what we would call, you know, this, this dark occultism or uh, sorcery or, or things of that sort. Anyway, that's, that's one of the things here that Hoffman's pointing out here. He, he sees these things as being occultic and ritualistic. So, and he's got 40 plus years under his belt of exploring these ideas and he's got some real key insights into the human psyche so it's important that we uh, listen to what he has to say here and like i said i would highly recommend you folks pick this book up if you have the means you could get it at uh, michael's website it's www.revisionisthistory.org okay so he has this available and i would also highly recommend before you even delve into this uh, get his book Secret Societies and Psychological Warfare. Uh, that one's foundational. Anyway, let's get back to the reading here, though. Law enforcement in this country did not arrest and convict the actual killers of John or Bobby Kennedy, Martin Luther King, or Malcolm X. The elite perpetrators of the September 11, 2001 attacks, the rapists and suffocators of the little girls of Rochester, New York, the planners of the Aurora shootings, the perps and commanders of the Las Vegas mass murder have all walked free. Except for the Schwarzentruber Amish and members of cognate primitive Anabaptist groups, certain non-Amish off-grid wilderness folks and that rare breed who can live in a city without being of the city, the vast majority of those who reside in North America, the British Isles, Ireland, Europe, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand, are occult processed to such an extent that they have the status of occult initiates. And I'm going to pause there. This is an important idea this is exactly what we opened up the show with talking about how we've all been sort of initiated into this process this alchemical process that we may not be fully aware of but that being the case these are the kinds of processes that they put initiates of these secret orders through all based in trauma see and that's what's being pointed out here Anyway, let's get back to the reading, because I don't want to uh, get too belabored on some of these points here, because there's a lot of ground to cover yet. The masses of people have been immersed in enough twilight language communication that many can see it for what it is, though in most cases they will not admit this to themselves or others. This is not a book of who to blame for the state of affairs, Jews, blacks, immigrants, rednecks, Rothschilds, or Republicans. The blame, if one may use such a word in this context, is fairly evenly distributed among the millions of human beings who choose to com comprise the United States of amnesia, of apathy, of eerie indifference. And we're going to pause right there, folks. Isn't that the truth? 
indifference. I, I've been saying for years now, indifference is the thing that will bring this world down or this country down to its knees. And do we not see that going on in front of us today? People being indifferent about everything. People just being complacent. They don't care. Oh, not my problem. Let somebody else deal with it. See, all of that stuff. If you want to make real change, folks, the only person you can change is yourself. Okay? Uh, and in so doing, you can change the world. Change yourself. Change your world. Be the change that you want to see in the world. Look yourself in the mirror. And, you know, see what it is that you're complacent about in this world. And do something to change it. Take action. Inaction is the thing that's really driving much of what's going on in this world today. Good people standing idly by and doing nothing while evil takes over. Anyway, let's get back to the reading here. So this next section in the book says, Just a little bit crazy. Howling madness spouted after September 11, 2001. We have forgotten how to hate. Today I will surprise you by complaining about how we have forgotten how to hate. The proper response to the cowardly brutes who perpetuated the horrific attacks against America is to hate them with every fiber of our being, and purge ourselves of any morsel of sympathy which might seek to understand their motives. The only way to react to incorrigible evil is to wage an incessant war against it. The purpose of our hatred is not revenge, but Preservation of justice. We tracked them down because God at Sinai entrusted us with the promotion of justice, turning the jungle into a civilized society. Only if we hate the truly evil passionately will we summon the determination to fight them fervently. Odd and uncomfortable as it may seem, hatred has its place. Let us make sure, therefore, that we never make the mistake of forgiving those whose sin is so inextricably woven with their rotten character that the two can never be separate. Shmuel Botich, the Lubavitcher rabbi of Oxford University. Uh, that's who that's quoting here, folks. Let's continue down the page here. Americans will welcome a police state. Probes from the 1970s investigations led by Senator Frank Church have crippled intelligence gathering and covert operations. Human intelligence capabilities suffered as CIA agents wishing to pose as journalists or recruit informants with criminal backgrounds face a daunting internal approval process. Unshackle our intelligence agencies. The absurd rules aimed at preventing U.S. involvement in assassinations have no place. Americans will greet wider surveillance, detention for questioning, and many other precautions with relief and unified public support. Daniel J. Pompeo, Washington Legal Foundation. That's who that one's quoting. And we have just a few more quotes here. Let's continue on. Don't rule out using nuclear weapons. In the excellent words of Paul Wolfowitz, Deputy Secretary of Defense, we must end states who sponsor terrorism. It must be fought with the most effective weapons we possess. A few weeks ago, Rumsfeld refused correctly to rule out nuclear weapons, and it must be fought in a manner that secures victory as quickly as possible. Regardless of the countless innocents caught in the line of fire, these innocents suffer and die because of the action of their own government in sponsoring the initiation of force against America. Leonard Peikoff, Ayn Rand Institute, in a full-page advertisement published in the New York Times, October 2nd, 2001. 
ally, ally with drug cartels and the Russian mafia. We need to be really focused, really serious, and just a little bit crazy. Terrorists and their supporters need to know that from here forward, we will do whatever it takes. It takes a homegrown network to destroy a homegrown network. Actually, we would enlist the drug cartels. They have the three attributes we need. They know how to operate as a covert network and how to root out a competing network, such as Mr. Bin Laden's. They can be bought and know how to buy others. And they understand that when we say we want someone dead or alive, we mean dead or dead. The Cali cartel doesn't operate in Afghanistan, but the Russian mafia sure does, as do various Afghan factions, drug rings. Something tells me Mr. Putin, the Russian president and former KGB spymaster, has the phone number of the guy in the Russian mafia who knows the guy in the Afghan cartels, who knows the guy who knows where Mr. Bin Laden is hiding. It is going to be that kind of war. In the underground network, you fight with moles and exterminators. Right now is the season of hunting down people. People. And that was Thomas Friedman, New York Times columnist, winner of the National Book Award and the Pulitzer Prize, New York Times, September 28th, 2001. So anyway, that concludes that portion there, folks. And what Hoffman is pointing out here is the events of 9-11. They were put out there for us to have these type of responses to, see, to have horror and indignation about them, to become angry about them, uh, to put our focus into this never-ending war on terror. And boy, have they pulled the wool over our eyes back then. Now, since then, many of us are seeing it for what it is. And that's all part of the process as well. That's why Hoffman invented the term a revelation of the method. Because that's exactly what this is. After the fact, we see what really went on. And uh, we'll, we'll get to explaining that here and a little bit further down. But let's continue reading. Like I said, there's, there's a reason this stuff is laid out in the order that it is. Okay, and uh, you'll understand when we get a little further down. And we're getting to the good stuff. The Twin Tower Game of 21. The appearance of the Sentinel from 2001 at the beginning of the year... 2001, and the century it symbolizes, the 21st, marks the symbolic end of the preparatory processing phase intended to program us into accepting the appearance of the devil himself as our presiding overlord. The process culminates in a hermetic game of hazard or chance, 21. This principle corresponds to the 2001 gateway to the 21 epoch. Secret Societies in Psychological Warfare, 2001, published July 2001, pages 15 and 16. This is important to understand. This is a type of a game to them, and, and this is what this whole thing, this blackjack idea, symbolizes. It's the end of the preparatory processing phase that was intended to program us into accepting the appearance of the Antichrist. And now we're entering into a new era. The active era of Antichrist. And this happened within this past 20-year period between 2001 and today. We've been processed through this changeover. So that's what this is pointing out. It's an important idea to wrap your mind around. Let's continue reading here. 
The attack on the World Trade Center is represented in the Rider Waite tarot cards by the number 16 tower card, and the attack on the five-sided, five-sided pentagon by the tarot's number 5 of pentacles. 16 plus 5 equals 21. You see where this is going yet, folks? Let's continue reading. The Rider Waite Tarot deck was first published in 1910 by Rider and Company in Great Britain. It was designed by the English Freemason Arthur Edward Waite, who lived from 1857 to 1943. Waite was the author of The Holy Kabbalah, a mystical interpretation, a new encyclopedia of Freemasonry, and the secret tradition in Freemasonry, an analysis of the interrelation between the craft and the high grades. Waite was one of the founders of the, of the Order of the Golden Dawn. The number 16, assigned to the tower card, symbolizes the so-called Sectio Aria, the golden section, golden ratio, or golden number, known as phi, after the 21st letter in the Greek alphabet. Going to pause there, folks. Did you catch that? 21st letter in the Greek alphabet. 21, there it is again. Phi, the golden ratio, the golden mean. Let's continue on, because this is where it gets interesting now. Really interesting. Since the early Greeks, a ratio of length to width of approximately 1.6 has been considered the most aesthetic, aesthetically pleasing in the construction of monumental architecture. Fibonacci numbers are also anchored by 1.6. The ratio of successive Fibonacci numbers gets continuously closer to this golden ratio of phi. No matter what two numerical values are used, if Fibonacci terms are employed to continue the series, the ratio of the two terms will always be the golden ratio of 1.6, etc. The same is true for the Lucas numbers. 1, 3, 4, 7, 11, 18, 29, 49, etc., the Lucas sequence is made in the same manner as Fibonacci numbers. One obtains each number by adding together the two previous. 1 plus 3 equals 4, 3 plus 4 equals 7, etc. If we take pairs of Lucas numbers and divide the higher by the lower, we get the same first two 1, 6 numbers every time. 18 to 11 equals 1.6363. 29 to 18 equals 1.6111, 47 to 29 equals 1.6206, ever more progressively approaching the golden mean, 1.618033987. That's the golden mean, folks. In other words, all of these mathematical roads lead to the basic building block of 1.6, which the Kabbalist Waite represented as 16 in his depiction of the downfall of the Grand Architect's construction, i.e. the fall of the Tower of Babel and all subsequent Babels. Going to pause there, folks. This is a key idea in all of this. This is very important to keep this in mind. 16, the, the uh, Rider Waite tarot deck. 16, the tower card. This represents this very concept, the fall of Babel, or the fall of all of these man-made lofty heights, okay? The fall 
of the human mind. 16, so when you see the number 16, it represents phi, which represents the 21st letter of the Greek alphabet, 21, blackjack. There's your blackjack idea. So the number 16, when you see that encoded all over, it's an important number. Keep that in mind. All that goes up must eventually come down. But in most cases, the fall is the slow crumbling of decay. Whereas what is built with godlike conceit, the occult edifice complex, will fall catastrophically. If Freemasons know this, then why do they continue to propitiate their grand architect and their rivalry with God? We would answer conceit does not necessarily imply ignorance. The greatest deviltry is performed fully conscious of the consequences. Truth or consequences equals the 33rd degree. And I'm going to pause there, folks. Do you see the other lines of thought being connected here by Hoffman? The grand architect idea? Uh, these things, these this edifice complex as he describes it. See, these things, these systems built by man that go contrary to nature, they will fall catastrophically. They won't slowly decay over time, like what would happen in the natural order. They will fall catastrophically. That's what this is pointing out. And he points out the idea of truth or consequences here, and that's the 33rd degree. Anyway, let's, let's continue reading. The downfall of the tower in the inferno of September 11th, 9-11, is the 911 emergency call to the psyche of the group mind, unleashing imprisoned energy. A burst of illuminated consciousness was released on 9-11. Properly channeled and directed, this group mind energy is harnessed to produce conditions for the imposition of an even more enormous and conceited tower. Every successful babble is more towering than the previous one. Thus does the imposing empire of the Grand Architect build bigger from out of the ruins of the old. The only thing not destroyed in the towering inferno is the principle that built it, symbolized by the number 11, which stays the same even when written upside down. This principle is further elaborated in alchemical imagery by the salamander, the legendary creature that paradoxically thrives in fire. At the other end of the equation is the five-sided pentagon, representing both the cosmic force of the five-pointed blazing star, which, according to Scottish Rite Supreme Commander Albert Pike, symbolizes for the Freemasons the dog star, Sirius, and which was personified in Egypt as set on satan as well as by the door through which satan's power manifests on earth in the form of the exploitation of the feminine principle of wounded but undying nature under the occult veil of isis she who bleeds and is not injured she who bleeds and does not die the divine menstruant and is represented numerically by the mean number of days in the menstrual cycle. Five. So the number five, folks, just to break it down here for you a little further, represents the divine feminine or the feminine aspect of nature. The union of the exploding phallic tower, and that's represented by the number 16, it says here in parentheses, and the wounded but functioning pentagon, represented by the number five, comprises an equation totaling 21, e.g., the point in the flow of time where the process manifests, 
the 21 or 2001 gateway to the 21st century epoch, the age appointed for the corporeal manifestation of the overlord in Masonic progression from 20 years ago in 2001 to 2021, where the overlord walks among us only partially concealed under a flimsy and threadbare cloak, which is becoming progressively more transparent and whose civic acceptance is prophesied to be virtually universal. And I'm going to pause there, folks. Do you recognize what's being said here? Is this not what's going on today? We have been alchemically processed through the past 20 years, through this initiation process, this initiation rite of sorts, to accept these things, to accept this new age. That's what's going on. This is the rolling out of what we would call Antichrist, or the Antichrist system, what I would call it. What I have called it. Let's continue reading. According to Gordon Moog of the United Supreme Grand Chapter of Mark and Royal Archmasons, the symbolism of passing the veils is that enlightenment which comes from Masonic progression. The entire object of alchemic art is the uncovering of the inner faculty of insight and wisdom and the removal of the veils intervening between the mind and dividing it from its hidden divine root. The lifting of each veil is accomplished by giving a password. This magnum opus represents a departure from the incremental processing of the masses, which was hitherto, with a few spectacular exceptions, been the cryptocracy's modus operandi. Recently, it became the process of conditioning through climax, where timing is key. It was necessary to initiate an anticlimax, a planetary false alarm in the form of the Y2K panic, which hundreds of millions of people were duped into believing. And I'm going to pause there, folks. This is another important idea. See, timing. Why do you think they time these rituals to the sky clock the way they do? They understand timing is everything with a lot of this. And they also understand that uh, giving people a false interpretation of time uh, is also a critical thing for means of control. And it says here that the cryptocracy's modus operandi has been incrementally processing the masses into this type of initiation. They think they're doing us a favor. D do you see? By lying to us and cheating and stealing from us, they think they're doing us a favor. They think this is the only way for man to wake up out of his ignorance. Do you understand? They firmly believe they're doing something good by duping us and by treating us the way they do. They think they're superior. They think they have the divine right to rule. And they think they're helping us by making us face trial and hardship in this way and by leading us astray. They think they're doing us a favor by teaching us not to trust them. <laughs> Do you see? Anyway, let's continue reading. In relation to the end of one millennium and the beginning of the new one, we see the familiar outline of anticlimax and climax. A legion of false prophets and con men who 
wore an anti-establishment mantle, but whose views were trumpeted by the establishment, predicted financial collapse in 1999 and the end of civilization as we know it in 2000, and these soothsayers raised both the physiological and psychological adrenaline of the masses, in some cases to fever pitch in what became an anti-climax of the apocalypse. But the cryptocracy had rather clearly, through the medium of its anointed prophets, such as Arthur C. Clarke, signaled to initiates and those percipients whose alertness is sufficient to qualify them as self-initiates that 2001 would serve as the climax entry point for the epoch of human alchemy. Going to pause there, folks. You hear that? Cryptocracy through its appointed mediums, people such as Arthur C. Clarke, and there are many others, folks. What have we been telling you about science fiction? This is the truth. These purveyors of science fiction, they're helping to write the script for our future. The miscued Goyim, with their charlatan Nostradamus, were paralyzed as they passively spectated at the end of 1999 and the dawn of 2000, looking for discernment concerning the future of nature. The 2001 advertising slogan of the giant Frankenfood agribusiness, ADM, which is Archer Daniels Midland, gives an initiate's hint at the deterministic contours of the Merlin-esque inevitability game that is being played. Their corporate motto is ADM, the nature of the future. And I'm going to pause there, folks. You see, the nature of the future, the artificial. That's what they're touting here. This is what Hoffman is speaking of when he says the reign of dead matter. Okay? He's talking about this holy artificial system that's being created and manipulated around us, put, snapped into place, what I would call the Antichrist system. It's completely antithetical to the natural order. Okay? And that's exactly what they're touting here. That's what they believe the future of nature is going to be. It's going to be a new nature created by them, which is antithetical to the nature created by God, our creator. See, the hubris of these people. It's unbelievable. Anyway, let's continue reading, though. Writing in April 2001 and published in the July edition of Secret Societies and Psychological Warfare, we analyzed the making of the atomic bomb from the point of view of a cult ceremony. We further cited the propagation of the theory of evolution in fashioning the cryptocracy's degraded new man. In the aftermath of the attacks on the World Trade Center and the Pentagon, Evolutionism's high priest, Harvard professor Stephen Jay Gould, used atomic terminology to refer to the ruins of the Trade Center as Ground Zero, and to make reference to the largest human structure ever destroyed in a catastrophic moment. And that was quoted from New York Times, September 26, 2001. Professor Gould's arcane Ground Zero Q, which is now the standard term for the devastated Trade Center site, leads us to a key dictum of atomic physics, the point at which Merlin meets Einstein. Time relations among events are assumed to be first constituted by the specific physical relations obtaining between them. This dictum in Camelot Arcana, restated in scientific jargon, thereby making it more palatable to the postmodern mentality that would scoff at Merlin but embrace Einstein. The underlying principle is the same, however, to orient us to 
the space-time conjunction necessary to the maintenance of the once and future inevitability of the cryptocracy's Camelot allegory. And I'm going to pause there, folks. A lot of important key ideas being hit upon here. These are archetypes, folks. That's what he's referencing here. These are archetypes. The Camelot archetype. Merlin and Einstein are a type of the same archetype. Same kind of thing. It's just presented in a way that's more palatable to the audience that the cryptocracy is seeking to push these ideas upon. So that's what he's pointing out here. Let's continue on. Gould's imagery recalls that the other largest human structure ever destroyed in a catastrophic moment, the Tower of Babel. Perhaps he was covertly signaling that those who built the World Trade Center were involved in idolatry because the edifice was another Babel, the largest human structure ever destroyed in a catastrophic moment since Babel. One peers at the ground zero made at the World Trade Center and glimpses the ruins of a modern Babel, summoning biblical eschatology. The apocalyptic age, the 21 Hazard Era, came not in the snare of 1999 or 2000, as focused for the Goyim by the establishment and its useful idiots, but in year one of the final millennium, at the 21st century gateway, which is the 21 space-time odyssey, to the, grateful, to the greatest battlefield of all, the cosmic war, between alien scale and human scale, between the Antichrist reign of number and the Holy Spirit realm, of poetic serendipity. And I'm going to pause there, folks. Did you hear Michael Hoffman use the term Antichrist reign and also the Holy Spirit realm of poetic serendipity? He's pointing out a lot of key details here that many people will miss the boat on. Uh, the Antichrist reign of number, as he calls it. That's why this numeric encoding is so important to these occultists because it's the reign of number as compared to the Holy Spirit realm of poetic serendipity. So it's it's two opposing archetypal viewpoints on things. Okay, These are two aspects of human nature, extremes of human nature. This is referring to left brain, right brain, to get really simple here with the whole idea. The Antichrist system here is more inclined to mathematical concepts, or uh, you know what they would call STEM. Science, technology, all of that stuff. Engineering, mathematics, the Antichrist system specializes in. And it doesn't leave room for the arts or the creative side of humanity. All this was consciously lost on our Yahoo friends and neighbors who were deep into a predictable first-stage pattern of a formulaic spasm of patriotic war fever and self-righteous drivel post-September 11, 2001, through the early stages of the Afghanistan and Iraq invasions. We qualify their, their perception with the word consciously because, as in the aftermath of the cryptocracy's last great climax in the management of Masonic progression, the JFK assassination, there is a sub-rosa, shadow side to the flag-waving persona propelled out of the smoldering ruins of the Twin Towers' double day of 11 September, which planted seeds of doubt and wonder deep in the subconscious of Americans. And I'm going to pause there, folks. What he's pointing out here is something that is uh, an important idea. We have been indelibly uh, affected by this event. This is where the shadows of doubt are planted. 
the doubt of the official story. They, they intended for us to know that they were lying about the official story here. Do you see the game that they play? This is all part of the revelation of the method concept as well. We were intended to be able to point this out and find this out for ourselves, that they were lying to us. That's all part of the process of, of being alchemically processed by these people. That, that's the whole point. They intended for us to find out. They're not surprised right now that there's those of us out here doing this kind of work and exploring these topics and, and talking about them. Uh, you know, in a, in a very public manner. They're not surprised by that. That's kind of one of the things they intended. It works on both sides. They control both sides of the argument, you see, uh, whether we're aware or not. Uh, we've all been manipulated, okay? And our opinions are manipulated in many ways. And that's what this is pointing out. Anyway, let's continue reading. Of course, 21st century Americans are not 1950s Americans. They have been run through the mill that is the psychedelic funhouse ritual roller coaster ever since that other double day on the calendar of America Mystica, the 22nd of November, 1963, in whose wake the American people were forced to confront a scary alternative reality, the reality of a shadow government over which they had neither control or knowledge. The shepherding process was thus accelerated with a vengeance. Avant-garde advertising, music, politics, and news would hereafter depict, especially in the electronic media, sometimes fleetingly, sometimes openly, a shadow side of reality, an underground, amoral funhouse current associated with extreme sex, extreme violence, and extreme speed. The static images of the suit and tie talking heads of establishment, religion, government, politics, and business were subtly shown to be subordinate to the shadow state, which the American people were gradually getting a bigger glimpse of out of the corner of their collective eye. The interesting function of this phenomenon is that it simultaneously produces both terror and adulation and undercuts any offensive against its among its percipients which does not possess the same jump-cut speed and funhouse ambiance. The same freeze-thaw cryonic process is gnawing into the official fabric of the events of September 11th. In the subterranean layers of the psyche of even the most convinced Bush Booster and Fed fan was a corner-of-the-eye glimpse of the twin at work. And I'm going to pause there, folks. Did you catch that? The twin at work. And we've explored this concept before. The twin. This is the idea of the story, once again, going back to the myth of Veritas and how Prometheus fashioned a duplicate, a statue of Veritas, but it was missing the feet. You see, it's a false twin. Understand, it's a lie. It's a facsimile of truth, but it's not true. And, and this we explored very heavily when we talked about the advent of CNN back on a Crow 777 radio a couple years back. This idea is very important to keep in mind. Uh, so this is a way in which they give us a glimpse at the shadow side of reality. Anyway, let's, let's continue reading. An ancient tradition of occult governance holds that the actual ruler does not show himself until his power becomes absolute. Instead, such a ruler's invisible, omniscient presence pervades the land and all consciousness like a shadow. 
This sense of hidden rulers behind the figurehead presidents and prime ministers has bored deep into the consciousness of the American people. The attack on the New York Towers and the District of Columbia Pentagon constitute an electrifying, lightning-like revelation that always accompanies the disruption of mundane routine with, when overturned by sudden chaos and explosive realignment. In the presence of this overthrow, the reaction in the percipient is a burst of momentary X-ray-like perception, illuminating what was hidden by glimpsing it in a flash of insight, such as was experienced at Ground Zero at the site of the first atomic incineration. The shocking perception is subsequently suppressed and denied through the chatter of innumerable talking head spin doctors who impose approved solutions and expert explanations. Hence, slowly and inexorably, excruciating tension builds between the public world of the suit-and-tie solvers and explainers with their phonograph record parroting of the restricted official line and the serious B-side of the record with its shadows and specters which hint at the dark truth about the towering inferno and the wounded pentagon and for that matter the wounded head of John Fitzgerald Kennedy. A population torn between these two extremes may be said to mirror the psychiatric state termed bipolar. Since 2001, these insights have been leaked to the masses by the establishment itself in bits and pieces. The frigid 2001 official speak which assailed us from every televiewer has been thawed. Truths about the attacks have flooded the public consciousness long after effective counteraction has been rendered inoperable, thereby doubling the godlike awe in which the hidden rulers are held until such time as their power is finally absolute. At that point in their game, the overlord, Blackjack, is set to assume public universal physical manifestation. Gonna pause there, folks. The overlord. That's Blackjack. Who is Blackjack? Who is the overlord? Antichrist. Let's continue reading. In unspoken, indeed, Dare not be spoken, insight was propelled in the psychic pressure cooker ignited on September 11, 2001. The impression that a hidden force was behind the Pentagon and Trade Center Tower's special operation, a force much bigger and more powerful than Arab terrorists. This force was hypnotically suggested not so much by the actual person of the double bin Laden, Osama and Usama, but by the imagery which bin Laden's icon invoked that of the turbaned seer from the east, whose crystal ball and oracular powers are foreshadowed rather than stated. This was the trance state induced in the masses, who, in keeping with revelation of the method elements outlined in secret societies and psychological warfare, experience certain dreamlike hypnotic cues dropped by the media and the government, suggesting that in special operations of this type it is necessary that they should be deceived by their media and their government. Indeed, that it is necessary that high officials of the United States government lie to the American people. Special operations by their nature are cloaked in secrecy and deception, making it impossible to know whether officials who discuss them obliquely are being completely candid. Bush assures Hot Pursuit, New York Times, September 29, 2001. Page B4. The bipolar made visible. 
Last week, Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld held a news conference in which he quoted Winston Churchill. In wartime, truth is so precious that she should always be attended by a bodyguard of lies. The Pentagon later issued a clarification that Rumsfeld did not mean to imply the government would lie. Yet that seems to be exactly what Rumsfeld was saying. Los Angeles Times, October 11, 2001. Rumsfeld did not mean to imply the government would lie, yet that seems to be exactly what Rumsfeld was saying. In addition to lying to us for national security reasons, we have also been informed that the special operation, the Game of 21, and that which emanates from its concentric rings entail psychological warfare. The United States is planning extensive psychological operations. New York Times, October 3rd, 2001, page B4. The Pentagon also has begun deploying forces to mount psychological operations, or PSYOPs. Wall Street Journal, October 4th, 2001, page 1. Where, in any of these reports, was there any assurance that the American people were not themselves targets of these operations? On the contrary, the fleeting allusions to the necessity of deception, psychological warfare, and PSYOPs would seem to hint that no one will be exempt in the mind games dragnet, least of all the taxpayers who fund it. Psychological warfare operations were launched after September 11th to preempt revolt against continued U.S. collusion with the Israelis and more seriously revolt arising from inquiry into U.S. government involvement in the attacks. Hints were dropped, ostensibly about bin Laden, but in fact concerning our own elite. For example, the White House told the media to be careful of broadcasting videos of bin Laden or his lieutenants saying they could contain coded messages. Associated Press, October 11th, 2001. Yet when campaigners against Hollywood and Madison Avenue manipulation attempted to document the existence of coded messages and subliminals in establishment videos and advertising, they were dismissed as paranoid cranks. George W. Bush's own staffers were caught inserting subliminals into Bush advertisements during the presidential campaign. The American-based cryptocracy regularly uses seemingly run-of-the-mill news conferences, book illustrations, audio recordings, and films to send coded messages. The technique is as old as cryptography, as venerable as the 16th century painting Shepherds of Arcadia by Nicholas Poussin, or of the Victorian artist Walter Sickert, who incorporated clues to the identity of the Masonic Jack the Ripper killer in his Camden Town paintings. Alright folks, I think you guys get the idea here. What is Blackjack? Who is Blackjack? Well, this is the Antichrist system being established here now. And if you want to learn more about this and how this works, I would highly recommend picking up this book for yourself and reading about it because it's extensive. We can see how we've all been hoodwinked, haven't we? I was, I'm hoping tonight that uh, people would have a better idea of what the concept of Blackjack is represents and i know we have talked about that and thrown that term around on uh, crow triple seven radio before and a couple times on secrets of saturn as well and this gives people a better idea as to what it is we're talking about the cryptocracy this cryptocracy this this group of quote-unquote elites that run things in this world they use these different occult means and esoteric means to communicate not only with each other but to convey archetypal ideas into the collective unconscious and in so doing they are 
alchemically processing us, in a sense, to accept the reign of Antichrist here on Earth, or that which is unnatural. As uh, Michael Hoffman describes it here, this is the reign of dead matter. The rise of the machines. That's how the movies put it. This whole idea tied up in transhumanism, folks, and I, I can't keep emphasizing this point enough to people. That's what this is about, transhumanism. It's all about the Antichrist system. It's all about the antithesis of the natural world. It's, it's removing what it means to be human, you see. It's in total inversion of what it means to be human. And uh, it's, it's not going to be good for the spiritual side of humanity. Let's put it that way. It's a, a tie that binds us to the material world. It's a type of hypermaterialism, a, a hypermaterialist viewpoint. Ties us to this place, to this physical world. And makes us believe that's all there is. And that's, that's what the, uh, the lie that is transhumanism touts. Okay, This is all there is. There's nothing outside of here. There's no spirit, no soul, nothing of that nature. These people who uh, follow some of these beliefs, a lot of them are atheistic in viewpoint. Uh, the ones that work on this transhumanist science. Or, you know, they believe in the secular humanist philosophy. Or what could be termed the Luciferian philosophy, that man either is God or can become God. And they fully and earnestly believe this, and this is what they seek to do. They seek to become God. That's what they want. That's what they strive for. And they use various hidden tools to do that. And all of these tie back to occultism, dark occultism in most cases here when we're talking about the power structure in this world. This is what they do. They utilize these concepts, what we would call magic in the modern age. Magic with a K on the end. This is how they operate. They operate from the shadows. They don't do things in plain sight. Now they're starting to because this is the unveiling. Okay, This is the revelation. This is the period we're in. We're in the period of revelation where all those things that were hidden are going to be seen. And we see that. It's a, it's a process. Much like we are being processed alchemically through this, these trauma-based initiations, these kind of things. It's a process. And we are seeing the unveiling going on before our eyes. That which was hidden is going to be plainly seen. We're experiencing that right now, folks. Uh, they are out there just lying to your face. And they know they're lying, and they know that we know that they're lying, but yet they continue to put on the show, don't they? This is why. This is exactly why. They think they're doing you a favor by lying to you. They think it's for the greater good. And this is how they justify their unethical actions. This is how they justify it. We're doing the right thing. See, that's what they believe. They believe... They're doing something good. That's like lying for the sake of national security. Same kind of concept. Morally reprehensible. It really is. And, but they do it anyway because they're able to justify it through their unnatural viewpoint and through this occult processing that they're, they're trying to accomplish here. So we are entering a new phase in, in this world and they, they've used this window of opportunity that was 2001 and we're being transitioned through this process so 
this is what uh, what we're talking about here. That being said, we're living through the time of blackjack, the blackjack. This is what has been represented here. You see, blackjack, that's an ace and a jack when you're playing the card game, right? And that could add up to either 21 or 11, and that's why they use the number 11 so much. And that is sometimes a veiled reference to blackjack. Um, and as uh, Hoffman pointed out earlier in the reading, 11, it's the same even upside down. It's, it's a base. 11, that's your two towers. That's the symbolism of two towers even. Do you see how all these things tie together? It's the blackjack idea. It's this concept, this this uh, 21 gateway, as Michael Hoffman calls it. It's the gate to the new age. Do you see the the antichrist system? They've they've processed us through this. And see the thing is, we don't always have our eyes on the long game like these these people in positions of power do. Uh, these occultists, these dark occultists that run things, they always have the long game in mind, and they they always utilize these different windows of time as opportunities, and they screw us up with these concepts of time. That that's why we have things like daylight savings time and. Why we do all this unnatural stuff with, you know, our time clocks and stuff like that. We don't know exactly when noon is anymore because we don't base it on what's going on in the sky. We base it on an artificial thing. And they have us so out of whack with the rhythms of nature, we don't recognize the times and the seasons like we used to. As human beings, as divine, natural human beings, we're separated from that. We're separated from nature by design and through the use of these different concepts. And that's the important thing to keep in mind. They want us separated from that. They invoke, within this concept of the blackjack or 21, they invoke the concepts of the divine feminine and the concept of phi, the ratio of phi, the golden mean, the golden ratio. See, all these things, these two things in combination, phi, the golden ratio, and the divine feminine leads to new creation, new life. And what they're doing is they're they're inverting that with this blackjack idea. They've taken this 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 natural process, this natural idea, these natural cycles of time, and they've inverted them into something perverse. They've turned it completely the antithesis of what it once represented. And they've they've turned it from, you know, the twenty one gateway to something that's natural and good and leads to new life and new creation, and they've turned it into the antithesis of that. They've turned it into the reign of dead matter, as Michael Hoffman calls it. They've turned it into the complete artificial. And that's all part of this processing that we've been going through the last 20 years here. There's so many different concepts that are tied up in this blackjack idea, or the 21 idea. But the thing is, what's key to all of this is intention. Intention is everything. So that's what we need to keep in mind. Intention is everything. So the people that have this intention are these power elites in this world, this, these dark occultists that run things. The intention that they've embedded in this 21 idea, this blackjack idea, it, it is not to the, the benefit spiritually of the human being. What it is is it's the decline of the human being. See, they, they see it as being in a transition to the next age, 
of post-humanity. But that transition leaves aside everything that it means to be human. Do you want to be a machine? Really, think about that. At the end of the day, do you want to be an artificial amalgam of what was something that was once created by a divine creator? Life? Do you want to be a cheap knockoff of that? Do you think you can be? Do you really think that your spirit would manifest in that way? Do you think your consciousness could be transferred to a different receptacle? Do you think it's something as simple as a, uh, a chemical or electrical byproduct of uh, these chemical processes of your body and your brain and your nervous system? Do you think that's all consciousness is or do you think there's something more? If you're intellectually honest, you'll think there's something more. Consciousness cannot be explained away by our very vague understanding of science or what we call science, which isn't really science in this day and age. It defies the very ideas of what scientific method was initially put in place for. It's the antithesis of that anymore. So do you think it's possible to transfer your quote-unquote consciousness into some other receptacle? I don't. I, I think your spirit lives on after this. We have this form of eternal life, and this is a cheap knockoff, what the uh, transhumanists are, are promising mankind. It's the great lie from the Garden of Eden. You can be as gods. And these people pursue it, this cryptocracy, as, as Hoffman calls them. That's what they seek. They, they think they could do better. They have this hubris that they think they can be better than their creator. No created thing can ever be greater than its creator. That's just not something that's possible. But these people seem to think that they can be, that they could achieve this, that they could become God. And the sad thing is, many of them don't even believe that there is a God. I don't know how you could look around at this creation, this, this place where we live, that's perfectly balanced. And, uh, you know, how it, it's, it perfectly interacts and, and things happen at the right time when they're supposed to and it maintains itself I, I don't know how you could look at this creation and think that this all came about by some random accident uh, I've, I've stated this before this world in which we live it had to have been have come into existence as a continuum and what I mean by this is everything had to be created and be here all at once because you wouldn't have say uh, let's let's use the example. It's a well-known thing. You know, it's well accepted in scientific circles. Flowers, they reproduce because bees carry the pollen from the flowers to other flowers, and they reproduce that way. Well, how did the flowers reproduce before there were bees? Well, people would say, okay, well, the wind. Well, how did the bee come about then? What did the bee eat before there was flowers? You know what I'm saying? This is just an example of how ludicrous it sounds to, to think that everything evolved from nothing pretty much it's this world was created as a continuum okay everything came into being at once because otherwise you couldn't have these relationships within nature these different animals and, and plants and and different species codependent on one another for their very survival that flies in the face of what we're presented as darwinian evolution here which is a fallacy it's all based on a lie folks it was all brought about uh, basically to uphold eugenics ideas 
that's the foundation on which Darwinian evolution was founded. So anyway, I don't want to get too caught up in a, any side tangents here with these ideas. But the point here is understand what this blackjack idea represents. It represents the Antichrist system, the Antichrist spirit coming to power in this world. The transhumanist philosophy, all of these things tied up in this. It's the antithesis of nature. It's unnatural. It's the artificial. It's the reign of dead matter, as Michael Hoffman calls it. Don't we see this culture of death all around us? So it's high time that we, you know, whether you're Christian or uh, whatever your belief system is, it's time to recognize that we are living in the age of deceit. The things that are coming to fruition now were predicted a long time ago and put to, to word. They were prophesied in the books of the Bible. And these, these things are real manifestations of different spiritual concepts that we need to be aware of. We have to understand we're in a spiritual battle, folks. And it's, it's warfare. It's spiritual warfare. And we need to stop being ignorant of that and ignoring the spiritual side of things and just focusing on the physical. Because you know what? Nothing in this world makes sense if you're focused solely on the physical world around you, the material world around you. None of it adds up. The only way any of it makes sense is if you are just so locked in that hyper-materialist paradigm that you don't ask questions anymore. That's right where they want you. They don't want you to wonder about this stuff. They just want to keep you, your mind flooded with all these different uh, types of entertainment day and night to keep you occupied and keep you from thinking deeply or richly about things that really matter in this life and the next life. So that's, that's what entertainment's about. That's why all these things are designed to just take up your mind cycles day and night. That's why entertainers get paid so much. You see, they have more value to these elites in this world than anything else because they keep people distracted on things of no real importance so that these people can manifest the destiny that they want in this world. And they really truly think that they could become the gods of this place uh, by totally inverting the natural world. And you know what, folks? It's a pipe dream. Their house of cards is going to fall. The thing is, we need to be aware of where we stand spiritually. So I, I would urge people, get your heart and your soul and your mind right with God, okay? Because the time's drawing short here. This whole thing is not going to stand. And when it collapses catastrophically, as Michael Hoffman points out here, all these man-made things, these high and lofty towers of Babel that they build, they always collapse catastrophically when it's an unnatural man-made thing. Whereas in nature, things slowly decay over time. Whereas these man-made things they crumble catastrophically under the weight of their own problems that are, that are brought about. And this is what uh, Hoffman pointed out here, and that's an important thing to keep in mind. This is not going to stand. It's going to crumble and fall. And when it does, it's going to be catastrophic. And I just hope and pray that we can endure until the end. So, like I said, get your hearts and souls and minds 
right with your creator, with God. Just know that you need to reach out and start thinking of things in a more spiritual light because this is a spiritual battle at the end of the day and uh, we need to be aware of that and stop just fighting the day-to-day material grind here you know it's it's the same people are are so concerned with just the the material things in this life things that will pass away all these things will pass away what's important is the spiritual your relationships with others these are the things that matter it's not about wealth or fame or anything else like that it's about your relationships with uh, your relationships with others and with your creator that's what counts at the end of the day so get that stuff right folks get that stuff aligned uh, it says in the bible seek ye first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you and i wholeheartedly believe that i've experienced that in my life seek out god's face first and foremost seek out his will for your life he will add unto you the things that you need and the resources you need in order to bring attention to people of him to bring him to the attention of others and that's what it's about at the end of the day like i said get your heart and your soul and your mind right with the lord and make peace with your fellow human beings okay love your family love your friends love your neighbor as yourself that's the bottom line everything else falls in place when you do those things have some care and concern for others put spiritual things ahead of physical or material things take time out to show love to others that's what god would want that's what god does want love your neighbor as yourself show some concern for your fellow human beings and at the end of the day you can't go wrong with that but also be aware of the time and the season that we are living in because it says in in that season know that things are very near jesus uh, talks about in the bible in the book of matthew about the allegory of the fig tree he says when you see the, the figs on the tree are ripe you know summer is nigh and also that'll be how it is in the end of days here the 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 day of the coming of the lord the second coming of the lord you'll, you'll be able to see these things and know that it's nigh at the doors see that that's what he says he, he he says we'll recognize the season that we're in based upon the signs and he told us these signs would come to fruition and we would be able to recognize these signs and all these things are manifesting right now so the time is near folks so get ready get your heart right with god and make peace with your fellow man take the time to appreciate your family and your friends and appreciate the people in your lives make them know that you appreciate them these are the important things and understand we need to stand firm in this spiritual battle so that we can endure until the end because then and only then will we be blessed for it so uh keep that in mind but know also that this cryptocracy as uh, hoffman calls them here in his book they're doomed to failure and their house of cards is going to crumble it's just a matter of the timing and when we endure to the end we will see this thing fall and that's the important thing to keep in mind so i keep a hopeful outlook on this because this is a, a time of great revelation folks <laughs> not to be uh, you know with, with the pun intended all these things that were hidden are being revealed to us now it's 
it's an honor to be alive in these times, folks. Appreciate it for what it is. It's scary sometimes, granted, but it's an honor to live during this time, this time of great revealing. Anyway, that's about all I've got to say for tonight. Uh, thank you for tuning in, and I hope you all have a very good night. Come with me.
Thank you.